This is the Epilog audio experience. Can there be an interesting relationship between fashion and the environment? How can new trends in fashion contribute to the sustainable goals for the environment? Every year on World Environment Day, we talk about the things that we should do for the environment. And adopting sustainable ways of fashion is never quite in the limelight. So, we thought we should be doing something different and look at fashion from the perspective of the environment. Welcome to Voice of Achievers with me, Yashika. And let's welcome our unique guest, Runa Ray, who is a fashion environmentalist and interdisciplinary designer who uses fashion as activism to advocate for policy change. She's worked extensively with the Sustainable Development Goals with the United Nations. Runa is an entrepreneur and runs Mojo Studios, manufacturing fashion products made out of waste. As an innovator, Runa Ray's designs encompass the reduce, reuse and recycle model. By keeping the end in mind, she has helped revive ancient and indigenous techniques of garmenting that reduce our impact on Earth. Her expertise lies in the circularity of fashion and helping design schools and micro-organizations create zero-waste initiatives. Her designs have been featured in The Times, Huffington Post, Vogue, Daily Mail and Harper's Bazaar to name a few. As a fashion environmentalist, she writes regularly for leading newspapers in India on fashion and climate change and is a regular at the New York Fashion Week and the United Nations. So, so happy to have you, Runa. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ashika. Thank you for inviting me for the Voice of Achievers. I'm definitely glad to be here. Runa, I, I think youth and fashion are uh, synonymous and the youth is completely overwhelmed by fashion trends. Let's begin by breaking some myths about fashion. What are some of the myths that the youth have about fashion and that need to change right now? I remember this thing when it goes back to when I was a child and I would always yearn for the new clothes that came out in the retail stores. And my mother would always tell me, do not follow trends because, you know, this faded jean that you're after now or these military boots that you want, in six months, it won't make sense. So you might as well invest in something that's timeless. I think that is something that really stuck with me. And I think that it is important with the youth, especially with the digital age that we have right now with everything on social media, such as uh, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, there's a lot of pressure on people to look good. And looking good comes at the expense of wearing new clothes every time when you take a photograph. So this, I think, is a really large myth that needs to be broken because you do not need clothes to be who you are. It's your personality that shines through. I think it's really important that the youth uh, take up this energy and decide to take it forward. One of the ways, if you ask me, that could be innovative where the youth could still use social media and talk about sustainable ways of living 
would be that I, for example, or the person had a t-shirt that they wore the last week. Now, unfortunately, the t-shirt got ripped. And it would be nice if the person showed the people and said, look what I've made out of the t-shirt. I made a bag for myself. Or look at the scarf. I've converted into it into a bag. Or look at the spot. This is like the waste that has been generated from the packaging from the fashion industry. Now, these are trends that you're kind of introducing. And people are going to look at it. It's, it doesn't matter, but you're actually promoting something ethical. And at the same time, you don't have to be embarrassed that you're not wearing new clothes, but be really proud that you have upcycled what you wore into something which is more uh, positive. You think, but uh, Runa, is it harder than just our conversation to really be able to emulate that? How does one put that into real practice? I think India is is a country where we adopt the reduce, reuse, and recycle. And most of the problems, even in the fashion industry, that if you're looking at what's happening right now is from consumer-driven countries. India is a manufacturing country. In the 19th century, when fashion actually started becoming mass scale because you had people who who had moved away from the made-to-measure section and started making clothes that you don't have to fit anymore that's when it started catering to the masses for example even in new york when they had the garment district people started moving into the outskirts because they did not want to pollute the surrounding areas and as time went by and fashion started becoming a larger business they started outsourcing it from countries like india from bangladesh for manufacturing this caused environmental racism which I think is something which everyone needs to know about because you have a lot of dying units here. You have a lot of secondhand clothes that come in from abroad. So even if I'm walking down the streets, for example, in Bangalore in the heat of summer, I would find people selling clothes that are of acrylic fuzzy sweaters, which you would probably never even wear because we don't even have that kind of climate in Bangalore. So coming back to the point of India being a country where we already have it within us to kind of uh, reduce waste, to recycle, because even, I don't know, even at home, we would always like have old t-shirts that were made into scraps that we could kind of clean the car with, for example. But this is something which if I speak to people here in, uh, in the US, they find it a very strange phenomenon. And mending, everybody knows how to mend. I mean, we all grew up with that. We know how to thread a needle and thread. But over here, they have mending shops because not many people know how to sew. Even a button that's come off, that ends up in the landfill. So if you ask me, I think what we are doing is in in India, definitely we're kind of moving in the right direction. The only thing is we need to keep in mind consumerism and be very wary of fast fashion because that's where the trap really lies. This is interesting when you said people don't even know something as simple as how to sew. Are these some of the skills then that the youth need to imbibe in order to be able to eventually be in a position to adopt sustainable fashion then? Yes, you need to know how to basically you need to know how to sew. Let me give you an example. Uh, When the pandemic hit and this was last year, you had a dearth of masks. And at the same time, you had people who could sew who were getting together and making masks and giving it. As individuals, if you know how to just cut a fabric and 
use a needle and thread and just attach the four ends with like straps, you already have a mask. But if you do not know how to thread a needle and thread, you know, a needle, then how are you even going to be able to make that knot to add that strap onto that one little piece that you've cut? It's as simple and as basic as that, or even it can be a kacha strap. It doesn't have to be anything that is completely done, but it's self-protection. But if you don't know how to do something as simple as that, it shows you in the face of pandemics, how difficult survival could also be. This is interesting and this takes me back to the school days and the vocational classes that you, you used to have of, uh, you know, uh, sewing or knitting or threading yeah. and therefore one feels that maybe it wasn't just quite all in vain right it wasn't at that time we kind of were like what are we doing here and we would probably i would give it to my grandmother to kind of finish this entire embroidery you know yeah i think we all did <laughs> yeah but at some point you do learn you know what i mean you do learn it's like it's it's almost similar to cooking where my mother would say, okay, I'm not asking you to cook to feed the whole family, but do it for yourself. And I think that was so important because even as students, when we were living in hostels, it's not just you can just live on Maggie all the time. You need to learn how to make something even with skichidi. And it is so important. So the same thing with, you know, with fashion, just learn how to just sew. And that's it. Your life is set. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Runa, you spoke about environmental racism. That seemed to be interesting. Tell us a little more about that. What is it that the youth need to know about environmental racism? What is it all about? Environmental racism is basically racism that is faced by mostly minorities in the community. Now, if you look at certain dyeing units or textile finishing units or tanneries, they would be placed out in the outskirts. And if you look at the neighboring villages around them, you have people of a lower economic background, but they are the ones who actually face the entire onslaught of what happens to when the waters are uh, polluted or when the soil gets polluted. It is something that we don't get to see because we're in the cities, things are already taken care of. We have the municipalities who are taking care of it. So, but when this takes uh, happens on a larger scale, when you're looking at countries doing it to other countries or even countries within themselves, like China has been uh, blamed a lot for its own environmental racism with its own people. Uh, even the US has been blamed for uh, environmental racism that has been faced by minorities living in the US. And in the similar way that India is also blamed for minorities not uh, being taken care of, especially when it comes to harmful chemical dyes being uh, put into their waters where they probably are fishing from or they are dependent on. There's this one NGO who I was working with and I taught the women, uh, this was in uh, Kerala. I taught the fisherfolk women how to reuse abandoned fishnets and make them into bags. So basically you have a lot of these ghost nets that are left behind because of fishing. And you had the men folk who went and retrieved them. And the women were taught how to make bags out of it that could go back into the fashion industry. So it was like an additional income that they could do. The reason I taught them that was because they were facing a lot of, we can call it environmental racism from the commercial fishing liners. 
because they have other fishing practices which are very different from what they do because they follow the traditional indigenous way of taking uh, way of fishing which is like the hook and line but these people have other ways of fishing like the you know it's called the bottom trawling where they cannot throw the entire net down and it pulls everything and it doesn't matter it kills all the fish around them so you know things like this so fashion also has i mean like every industry has this we need to also realize that fashion is also very very polluting when it comes to it and knowing for a fact that india has a lot of unorganized sectors in this division when it comes to dyeing when it comes to especially the reason i say dyeing is because water is one of the most precious sources and without water we are not going to go anywhere i do believe water is the main main source of everything that could happen the reason we are alive so how what we can do with our own processes as designers to mitigate it and does a gender stereotype come into play when because in our minds we are so used to thinking about fashion women or sewing women you know we sort of uh, type cast or stereotype certain aspects of uh, or certain tasks to certain genders how important is it in today's times for all genders in fact to understand and know this skill is that breaking to tell you the truth uh, we definitely assume women with fashion that's because women like to shop yes and women do like to dress but if you look at the fashion industry per se there's a lot of gender inequality that exists if you were, if you are a part of a factory you would find women who are sewing but they would probably be making uh one third of what the men would be making so you have this huge gender disparity which exists in the organization it is very difficult for women to even get maternal leave it's very difficult for them to you know like take off like some men do and then come back and make sure that the jobs are waiting for them it's almost like they're not indispensable you know what i mean so this is and i and i also believe that the more we empower women the better it is for our society because they can take care of themselves and especially in like the lower economic backgrounds you notice that there's education which is a big problem and most of them kind of don't go to schools and colleges because they can't afford it at the same time there's not enough uh, of uh, schools and colleges that could probably give them that education and after a certain point it's all about just making the money so when they when they come to a point when they need to be uh, independent i thought it is important to teach them this because at the end of the day it's very easy for men in general to get jobs we're still fighting this you you also know what's happening and it's very important for women empowerment and especially in the fashion industry yes and not to be just known for being consumers but also being known for as contributors talking of consumerism tell us how then can fashion sustainability and uh, innovation coexist hmm. um the definition of fashion basically is to make something right that's how it started off and then fashion over time was like it was a trend of apparel you know it became a trend so 
I believe when you have to make something, you're already being innovative. So fashion is about being innovative. And right now with uh, these challenges that we are facing with climate change, biodiversity loss, food systems, pandemics, uh, we need to be even more innovative. Now, let me give you two examples. For example, in the fashion industry, you've got people who, I mean, you have people who advocate for natural uh, garments, which is obviously better than synthetic clothes because you have like the microfibers and everything that go into the oceans. But the most important thing in fashion is the processes behind it. As a designer, if you can find out those processes that actually generate the maximum carbon footprint and try to reduce that, you're automatically being environmentally friendly. So when I was invited for the UN uh, Oceans Conference, this was in 2019, I had this entire set of red carpet clothes that were made using this uh, Turkish marbling technique, which had water which was held in a trough. It was uh, on a trough, the inks were extracted from chlorophyll of plants and it was splashed on the water. We got to kind of uh, dip, kind of drag the fabric over the trough. So every time we dragged it, we would have like an organic print that came onto it. So this reduced chemical, uh, chemical dyes entering the water. The water was contained in a trough. So there was no water wastage. So this is like a small innovative way that we could probably take forward in printing. You know, it's a very simple thing, but completely changes the way you do things. The second one was when I did this cyanobacteria collection with Oceanic Global. This was to speak about regenerative textiles and how we can use algae as a form of textile rather than plastics. So that was more of fashion activism. Again, that was also displayed at the UN to speak about how as individuals, we can definitely use fashion to be responsible, innovative and sustainable. Uh, when we look at actually the practical and real daily ways of uh, young people working, of course now there's not enough going to colleges or going to work, but when there is, what are some of the simple things that uh, they can do to ensure that they are following sustainable fashion ways of living and working? Um, yeah, so there are many ways. Uh, one of my most favorite quotes is uh, treat fashion like food. So you would only eat as much as you want and not waste your food. So the same, similar, similar fashion, you would only buy clothes that you would wear and not just discard them. Uh, saying which I am very much against the disposable culture, which I think we do not have in India as much as over here. The other thing which people can keep in mind, like I did speak about was re uh, reduce, reuse and recycle. Reduce meaning that if you have like 10 t-shirts already there in your cupboard, why would you want to go get onto Amazon and buy five more? It's the same philosophy which comes, you know, it's, I try to do that with books. I love buying books, but I have so many books I haven't read, but I keep wanting to buy them, but I'm like, but you haven't read it. So it's a, you, you get what I mean? So there's like this interconnection that all this happens. So, so reduce, number one. Reuse, of course. Keep trying to reuse what you have till it comes to a point where you can't use it anymore 
and lastly recycle it where you can upcycle it mostly and see if you can convert it into something else so that it doesn't end up into a landfill whether it's making a cushion for example for your dog or your cat or uh, making a you know like a shopping bag out of your t-shirt or what you have a t-shirt with a beautiful print but you don't want to get rid of the print because you really like that print so much and that's the reason you bought your t-shirt so you can probably make that into like a table mat that will always stay with you so yeah and then there's another thing the uh, un has come up with this app which is called the um, act now app so you can actually register your uh, daily uh, routine on it which tells you like how much water you've used today you know uh, how many miles you walked instead of you know taking a cab uh, the most sustainable way of living so that's good the other few things would be that um, of course so support local uh, designers because they are i think the micro uh, the micro industries the medium scale and the small designers are definitely having the potential to be really sustainable because they're pretty innovative rather than the large ones uh buy less and invest in timeless pieces and lastly uh this might sound funny but don't wash your clothes that often i don't mean by saying don't wash your clothes at all but try to kind of view, gather them and try to wash them like all together once a week that way you cannot spare water wastage and you also spare the microfibers which will eventually get into the water but you're not since you're not doing it on such a regular basis you will be mitigating that too you your journey began in the retail industry in in the proper fashion retail industry and eventually you moved on to they probably may have i'm guessing there may have been a vision for social and environmental change and therefore this happened uh, you don't really hear every other person saying that i am a fashion environmentalist so this how did you arrive at this career option in the first place and how did that change things for you as an individual and financially so uh, when i started my career uh, i had already worked um, in luxury fashion houses abroad and i'd worked in large corporates in india and i decided to kind of uh, take off on my own there are a few things that i learned in corporates those were the things that probably stuck with me for life one was the wastefulness that did exist invariably the number one wastage was time because to come to a conclusion you would always need to have your meetings and get everybody together and discuss the same uh, topic probably for a month the second thing was especially in design you would spend a lot of time and designing it only for it to be scrapped and to be redesigned thirdly this is where it starts getting dangerous because you have vendors now vendors come to you and you're like i've got this print i want this to be made in this color the vendor says fine i'll do it and uh, every designer knows it's going to be the same it's like it's like cooking it's the same thing you cook for yourself or cook for 10 people it's the same amount of time is the same amount of natural resources and energy and everything gone into it so you're looking at making a swatch which is rejected so you would reject all these swatches you would reject all these prints and then there would be probably some slub that was i'm talking like most scenarios i'm not it's not always this bad but yes it is pretty bad so you would have like a certain you know like during the the weaving of this one denim fabric you would have like a slub or something so this entire yardage was uh, is not used of course it goes into the second hand market and people can use it but what happens to the pieces that are sitting there in the warehouse of the organization 
it will probably sit there for one year, two years, and then it's gone. You cannot have a fabric shelf life is not that long, especially when it's all put together and compressed. So these were the things that I got to see, which really uh, stuck. And when I did start off, I worked with only surplus fabric. And I must remind you, Yashika, at that time, there was never a possibility of working without size sets. It was ingrained in you. If you were making a particular style, and even if you had to retail it, at that time, Snapdeal had just come out. This is, we're talking about 2012 and Jabong and all the e-commerce. Snapdeal was the first one and then came Flipkart and then came Jabong. There was not a possibility of you making a style without the small, medium, large, XL, double XL, all having the same fabric, same style, same finish, same everything. If you did not have that size set, you would not be listed online. But I decided to go against that norm. I said, no, I'm just going to give you one of blue, which is S. I'm going to give you one M, which is red. I'm going to give you. Why is that? Why, why that? <laughs> because it didn't make sense. Because if you look at your inventory and if you kind of backtrack, what happens if you make like say 20 pieces of small, medium, large, extra large, double XL, and out of which you only get four smalls that have sold. What are you going to do with your medium, large, extra large? How are you going to move it? And, and that is something which I think the fashion industry really struggles with. Because if you look at the amount of prototyping that also happens, this is something that is never discussed. But uh, like the shirt you're wearing and the sweater that I'm wearing, there's a lot of prototyping that happens back end. And most of these prototypes never, you don't even get to see it. You, maybe if it's kind of okay, you could probably, you know, have it sold. But what if it really doesn't fit you? It's the time, energy, the same amount of fabrication, dyes, printing, all gone for waste because nobody wants to buy it. What are you going to do with that? Even if you go to the small uh, markets, even the chindi bazaars, they won't be able to sell it to you. So then what happens is then either they try to see if you can recycle it, but recycling again uh, could be a problem like say for example a kids wear when you have like so many things happening on the garment it gets to be more expensive uh, taking the garment apart than just letting it be and saying you know let it go to the landfill like I said so this mindset of breaking away from the sizing was very very difficult and extremely difficult for uh, designers like me and I'm sure a lot of people started doing that and then they started kind of moving into like um, uh, made to measure which happens in India right so I think that 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 concept is better but when it comes to like the business side obviously you got to be a little careful so um, that was when I started doing my activism my first piece of activism was in 2016 at the New York Fashion Week and it was then when I came up with these clothes which were like completely zero stitch they were uh, they were made using origami so there was no stitching and but then you had like all these uh, avant-garde pieces that could be worn and capes and everything so that was my first foray into it the second one was when I again that year I spoke about climate change and I still remember I was interviewed and people came to me and I'll never forget it because they asked me they said so do you think uh, climate change is real and sustainable fashion is the way forward. I said, you just wait and watch. In five years, everyone is going to be doing it. 
And it is so important. It is the only way forward. So. Does it really, uh, so as an entrepreneur, tell me Runa, uh, is it possible at scale? Sustainable fashion possible at scale? See, that is the thing. You cannot think about scale. That is where we really struggled. And that is why we are here because of that. Because we did so much at scale. Fast fashion was all about scalability. How can we make a million pieces where we can, you know, like sell it so cheap that everyone wants it? And then, so you've already got that. You've got a million pieces. You've got your back-end inventory. You've got your prototypes that are not selling. Think about the amount of back-end waste. It's like a huge mountain. And what is being shown to the consumer is just a molehill. And, and looking at what the consumers are doing, they're buying it. We don't blame them. They don't know. But the consumers are like, oh, wow, look at this style. And the consumers keep wasting that. So imagine the amount of waste is actually being generated from the organization, the consumers. So I don't want to talk about scalability. <laughs> no, so here, uh, I'm just thinking and I'm, I'm sort of backtracking it. So what will, what the, to bring about a change, first, the mindset changes then uh, the action changes and then eventually the industry changes. Is it like that or am I missing a step? Yeah, the industry will change when your mindset changes. The industry will change according to consumer demands. So the more consumers start questioning and being educated and being responsible, they will be like, I don't want to buy this piece that is wrapped in plastic. Why do I want that? So, so then it starts from the consumer questioning it. Consumer, yeah. Consumers have to question. It is very, very important. Uh, these are, consumers have every right to ask the most ridiculous questions and don't be embarrassed to ask that because you don't know this field, you know? So you have to know. You need to know what this is all about, where it's coming from. How can I, what is the afterlife of this product? How can I upcycle it? Uh, will you take it back? If, uh, you know, once I'm done, what is your, what is your guarantee that this product is, uh, you know, uh, you have used all, um, what do you call it, natural dyes? Can I see some certification, please? All this has to be there. All this has to be there. You, uh, you know, Runa, you've already mentioned a couple of challenges that you have faced and you, you needed to move forward and break away from that. But tell me, as an entrepreneur, as a fashion activist, what is one of the one or two of the most uh, challenging aspects or situations that you've had to face and overcome? As a fashion um, activist, I think it was getting people to understand the message behind what I was trying to create. So it wouldn't come across as just trying to make something which is artsy, you know, but using fashion as a tool to actually educate the masses and being trying to make a difference in people's lives by helping them understand uh, their relationship with the environment, with nature, how it is really intrinsically important that we all collectively contribute to this a uh, huge challenge of climate action, which is which probably we do not see, but it is happening. So I think the major thing when I did start off was trying to get people to get it. But luckily, I had 
the United Nations who got to notice what I was doing. So with them, we've been able to kind of move leaps and bounds. That's interesting. Uh, I'm really out of the box, but do you think it makes sense to have a subject or uh, classes on fast fashion and environment sustainability maybe in schools and colleges? They've already started that. They've started that um, and uh, almost every uh, university now in the US is teaching sustainability. I in fact got a call yesterday from FIT to see if I could take a course in sustainability for the fall semester and I said yes, why not? So a lot of them are doing that. A lot of uh, companies are hiring people who can be like sustainable directors, which means that, you know, like from, from they know where like the fields where the seed is planted. So there's a lot of this thing where, you know, you have children who kind of pollinate the cotton because they're made to run through it. So they want to make sure that there's no child labor involved. So it's a large process, but people are definitely getting into it. There are many uh, stakeholders who are also, who are demanding a lot of transparency from companies that they have invested in, especially oil organizations. And, you know, yeah, so all everyone's coming under the hammer right now. Everyone's getting questioned. This is a very nice career option that you said there. There are uh, sustainable fashion directors in organizations. Any other career opportunities that you see in this space? Um, you will have a lot of people to do with sustainability. But like I said, every, the fashion industry has so many, um, what do you call it? So many facets to it. For example, a stylist. You can be a sustainable stylist where you only source ethical uh, garments to dress your celebrities in. You could be a sustainable celebrity and or an influencer because that's also a part of fashion. Uh, in the fashion industry, you could be just, a, you know, I want, to, I want to work only on sustainable uh, lines and you could be a sustainable designer. So you're only creating capsule collections for the market. You could be uh, a person who's in charge of sustainable um, sourcing. So you make sure that all your fabrics are natural and make sure that the cotton that you've gotten is, cotton is a very um, tricky subject because I myself, I'm trying to figure that out because it's an extremely water intensive crop. So I kind of, I'm a little wary, you know, wary to use cotton, but then organic cotton is there, but you don't get much of it. So, but then the other cellulose, like you have a lot of this uh, wood pulp that's left behind from forests, you know, the waste which can be converted into cellulose and that can be mixed with different yarn. So those are like sustainable uh, ways of actually creating something which is cellulosic, like cotton, but not so water intensive, but a byproduct of a certain industry. Top two characteristics, according to you, Runa, that young people who might want to enter the fa social fashion or sustainable fashion industry, what are the top two characteristics that they must have or build? I think, um, I would say three, if you ask me. The first one, having the love for your planet. Second thing, being curious about things around you. You need to be curious about everything. And that's when you would be able to find solutions. Thirdly, with these two things of the love for the environment and your curiosity, knowing how to get the message across to the masses through your designs. Communication then. Yeah, communication. So we can say care, care, curiosity, communication, the three C's. 
Nice. The, the three C's. Yeah, we got there. Uh, what does achievement mean to you, Runa? I think achievement is something which is uh, personal. But for me, it's more about trying to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, trying to capture the moral, culture and intellectual fabric of times right now. You know, in the future, people can probably look back and say, ah, so this was created during this time. And this is what it represents, which again is a form of activism because I feel that art has this power of uh, shining light into darkness where even where reason might fail, art has that potential. So yeah, so hopefully in more like um, Zygeist way to see how we can educate, empower people and at the same time try to make a difference in people's lives. Love that. Uh, thank you so much uh, for all your contribution. I think you aren't thanked enough. So thanks for the contribution to the environment and maybe all take these uh, steps and maybe move forward to a sustainable planet. Thank you so much, Yashika. It was a pleasure being here with you. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to share your thoughts and feedback in the comment section. Do rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. Subscribe or hit follow Voice of Achievers on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, Spotify, GeoSavan, Ghana or wherever you get your podcasts from. Send us an email on editor at voiceofachievers.com or find us on voiceofachievers.com to share guest suggestions or topics that you'd like us to cover. Don't forget to tune in next week again. Voice of Achievers on EP Log Media.